1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Will be our main mission text today. We'll be looking at other things in the Old Testament. World Mission Sunday. We've been talking about that for about the last month. World Mission Sunday is when the churches all through the Baptist Missionary Association of America will take up a special offering uh, for the, the general fund of the missions department. Now, this is not the only offering that we take, of course, throughout the year or the only monies that we send in to the missions department. And, of course, as we look at this business of churches associating together, to sponsor missionaries and to help fund mission work, there is a biblical principle in play. This is not something that was invented in the early days of our country when Baptist associations began to come together. The biblical principle and is found in, in the book of Philippians chapter 1. Paul was writing the letter to the church at Philippi, and he says this, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Your fellowship in the gospel, your partnership in the gospel. Now, later on in this book, he says, and I'm rejoicing in the offering that you sent to me, not once, but over and again. So the church at Philippi had been sending offerings to the Apostle Paul to enable him to go to the different places where he went and preach the gospel. Now, at this time, the Apostle Paul was 800 miles away from Philippi. He was in a Roman jail. Now, he turned his imprisonment into a jail ministry. So it was a mission project. A mission point is that. But he establishes the principle. Churches here can give money to help church planters over there. That was established 2,000 years ago. We didn't come up with that. That's, that's not some interesting little cute program that we came up with somehow in, in, in modern America. That's been going on since missionaries have been traveling all over the world. Your fellowship in the gospel. Well, let's look at that. What he's talking about is fellowship in this business of spreading the gospel. Now, I want to do a little brief review of what we call the Great Commission. Now, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, records the words of Jesus Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Now, Mark, who got his information from Peter as Peter was teaching about Christ and he wrote it down, just kind of summarizes it in one big punchy statement there. Matthew, of course, who was there when the Great Commission was given, kind of talks about the process. In Matthew chapter 28, you know the passage of Scripture beginning in verse 18. It, it says this, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I have taught you. So we understand the process is this. We preach the gospel in all the world. We evangelize people. And as we evangelize people, then we make disciples of them, followers of Christ. And it's quite interesting, he says, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. The process is this. You get into the family of God, then you need to get into the church of God. And you're baptized into the church of God. You're already in the family of God. But God has always intended from day one that believers serve him together in a church. And so the process is we evangelize, but if there's not a church here, we want to be sure and start one because we're going to need some help to live for Christ. It does not come easy. It does not come naturally. We need some help. We need to work together. And then we need to teach those who are new in the faith about what it is to be a Christian. That's the process. Now, the scope is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, you'll be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, this right here is important. Simply because in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go in all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. We look at this and say, no, that's not me. God's not calling me to go anywhere. And so we understand this business of going into all the world, I'm, I'm pretty well off the hook. I don't feel led to go anywhere. He says, go into all the world. Now, if you look at the verb structure, this, the whole emphasis in the command is not on go. Actually, Kenneth Weiss, Greek scholar, says the actual verb tense is this. Having gone into the world, or as you go into the world, preach the gospel. Now, we look, of course, at what Jesus said. He said, you start in Jerusalem. That's where you are. And in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So sometimes we skip all that, and we go to the uttermost parts of the world. I'm not going to Bolivia. He said, you start in Jerusalem. You go you where you are. But let me tell you, when Jesus said, go to the uttermost parts of the earth, this right here, this real estate where we live was the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, the Roman Empire went as far as like Great Britain, and after that it was no man's land. You got up in the great old wild people lived up there. Those were our ancestors. Wild people lived up there, and they had to go up there and evangelize them. Then, of course, they evangelized, and churches sprang up, and then, of course, 1,500 years later, somebody came over here to this piece of ground. It was the, it was the uttermost parts of the earth. They settled the East Coast. You know, Arkansas and Louisiana was called the wilderness. So we have to understand, where is this business when we think the uttermost parts of the earth does not include us? Where our feet are is where the world is. And unless, of course, you're living on another planet, where we live is the world. Go into all the world, which includes this piece of real estate that I occupy. So we reach the world, but we start right here. So when we ask the question, uh, go into uttermost parts of the world, God does not call everybody to go reach the people over there. But God calls all of us as his people to reach people somewhere with the love of Jesus Christ and with the gospel. So with that being said, we're going to reach people with the gospel. What is the gospel? We, we, have to, we, we use that word, and we toss it around, and we talk about the gospel. Well, today we need to pinpoint exactly what it is that we're working with. The fellowship of the gospel, preaching the gospel, the missionaries, the ministry of the gospel. What is that? 
That's where you find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? First Corinthians chapter 15, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the words which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 400 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also as one born of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace toward me, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that we are involved in the business of reaching the world with the gospel. But Father, show us very clearly what that message is. And that message involves everyone in this room. And we ask that you would show each of us what needs to be done to bring our lives into your will for us. There's some here who are outside of your family. We ask that the gospel would be clear enough and that, Father, they would know the saving grace of Christ. We ask that you would help us all to place priority on the message of the love of Christ to save souls in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. What is the gospel? What is the message of the gospel? He said, I have preached the gospel to you. And he said, first of all, this is what I preached. I delivered to you first of all. Now, we could say that was maybe in time. That's the first thing he said, or perhaps first in list of importance. Either way, it fits. The first thing we need to talk about. And the most important thing we need to talk about is this. Here's the message of the gospel. Don't miss this. Number one, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That is the message of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. First of all, the urgent need for our sins. Don't miss that. The urgent need, Christ died for our sins. Who does that include? It includes all of us. And you see, that message was found even in the second part of this clause. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And what Paul was saying is this, this is not something these guys made up on the day of Pentecost. This was not something that we could call a New Testament doctrine. This was something, according to the scriptures, that all through the Bible, God leads up to this business of Christ died for our sins. The most telling and the most concise and to the point passage 
is in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. And this is 700 years before the birth of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 53, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. According to what scriptures? Well, this is one of them. Undoubtedly, this is one of them. And look at what the prophet Isaiah says. This is one of many prophecies concerning the Messiah in the book of Isaiah. Here's what he says about the Messiah to come. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we held, we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, we did not esteem him. Surely has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions. And it's quite interesting. How precise were the scriptures concerning the death of Christ? That word wounded here in the original Hebrew is the word for pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. And even there was the exact form of the death and execution of Christ. He was executed by crucifixion. He was pierced. In Psalm chapter 22, the details of the process of crucifixion are laid out graphically, step by step by step. A thousand years before the Romans perfected the art of crucifixion, it was prophesied in the scriptures that the Messiah would die by the process of crucifixion. Just a couple of pages over in Isaiah chapter 64. It says quite specifically what he was saying just a few words earlier. 64 verse 6. Isaiah chapter 53 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. In chapter 64 verse 6, But we all like an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. He was saying we're, we're hopeless. We're undone. We're a leaf blowing in the wind because our iniquities have just swept us away. We are all like an unclean thing. And he said, how, how dirty are we? How dirty are we? He did not say our sins are like filthy rags. He said our righteousness like filthy rags. The best we can do is humanity. The absolute best and most noble and most honorable that we can do is humanity. It's like filthy rags. Quite literally, it's like a dirty garment. A dress garment might be the best we have and the best we could muster, but it's all stained, and it's all stained with sin. And you see, when Paul said Christ died for our sins, he said that explicitly and deliberately because it's the power of the, I mean, the message of the gospel is not that Christ died. 
Christ died for our sins. That's the message of the gospel. The gospel brings out we need a Savior. We are all sinners, and sin has taken us away, and the wages of sin is death. And it says this, he was buried according to the scriptures. Well, what scripture would that be? Well, it's still in Isaiah chapter 53, quite interesting detail that he has. In verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 53, it says this concerning the burial of Christ. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Now, which was it? Was his grave with the wicked? Was his grave with the rich? Oh, both. You see, Jesus Christ died between two criminals, between two wicked men. He died with the wicked. And then a very wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, came and took his body off the cross, laid him in a tomb that only rich people could afford. He was put in the graveyard where rich people were buried. So can you imagine 700 years, people would look, there's no way. There's no way the Messiah could come and be buried or find his death with the wicked people and be buried with the rich folks. If you die with the wicked people, you're thrown on the trash heap. It never happens. But it did happen. Very explicitly, the scripture said how Jesus would be buried. Christ died for our sins and was buried and raised again the third day according to the scriptures. Well, we have this scripture concerning his burial. In the Psalms chapter 16, verse 10, the psalmist says, You will not leave my soul. The New King James says, Sheol. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now, the King James says, You will not leave my soul in hell. Don't get all disturbed about that because the Hebrew word sheol simply means the grave, the realm of the dead. So we read it, of course, you will not leave my soul in the grave. You will not see, allow your Holy One to see corruption. There's the resurrection, according to the scriptures. There's the message of the gospel. And let's read it again. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that's the gospel. He was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. So I'm going to look at the heart of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. That's the message of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is found in Romans chapter 5. We read this just a little earlier, a few weeks ago. If you look in verse 6, you find the heart of the gospel very clearly. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still sinners without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. There we are. Christ died for our sins. Scarcely for a righteous man would one dare to die. Perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. God commends his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
The heart of the gospel is the love of God. The heart of the gospel is that sinners, yes, we are. Our iniquities like the wind took us away. Everyone turned away from God. Nobody cared about God. In our own state, we're selfish. In our own state, we're sinful. But God loves us anyway. You remember the passage, our kingdom kids know this from day one. God so loved the world, and the world is not a real lovable world. The world is an evil, mean, selfish, hateful place. God loves us. He loved the world and gave his only begotten son. That's the heart of the gospel, the love of God. And don't forget that. God demonstrates his own love toward us while we were sinners. Christ died for us. That's the gospel message. You know, that's the, the, that, that, that's, you can't get any simpler than that. What is the gospel that we preach? What is the gospel we want to send to the far shores? What is the gospel we need to share with the people here? Christ died for our sins and while we were yet sinners. He demonstrates his love for us. Christ died died for us. And the power of the gospel is found in that one statement. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, but listen to this, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The power of the gospel is in the resurrection. The power of the gospel is in the resurrection, that Christ lives again. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Obviously, for some reason, the people at Corinth decided that was an attractive thing that they would stray off on. There was no resurrection from the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Then he goes down that path of reasoning. And if Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. In verse 17, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. But verse 20 says, oh, but Christ is risen. He is risen. That is indisputable. He was seen by Peter. He was seen by the 12. He was seen by 500 people. He said, and those people, most of them are still alive. You can go ask them. And then by, by all the apostles. He said, Jesus Christ was seen. His resurrection is indisputable. Anybody alive could have fact-checked it. They could have gone back and they knew where he was buried. They could have, they could have just produced his body and paraded it all over. And the Romans would have done that. No one did it. No one challenged it. All these people, they went to their grave and some even gave their life proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it were a hoax, somebody would have stopped it and said, guys, I'm not doing this anymore. He said, but all these people, they saw it. They know it. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is why we can live is because Jesus Christ died for our sins but he conquered our greatest enemy, which is death at the tomb. Christ is risen. That's the power of the gospel. 
Peter says it this way in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. You know the passage of Scripture very simply. We've read it before. Blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, and in this we greatly rejoice. You are begotten, born again, to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power of the gospel is the resurrection, the life of Jesus Christ. We serve a risen Savior. A risen Savior can save because he's alive today. So we sum it up. The message of the gospel is this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. The heart of the gospel is the love of God. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the heart of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the resurrection. We are begotten to a living hope. All this works through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now I ask the questions, prepare for an invitation to him. Where are you in this story? Perhaps you're here and you do not know the power of sins forgiven. Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. If we could get to heaven any other way, there would be no reason for that kind of price. But that is the only price that was acceptable for what we owed for our sins. And we all have sins. All of us. Every one of us. And those sins disqualify us from heaven. But God loves us so much, he did not want to leave us that way. Christ died for us. He says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know that for sure? If you know that for sure, are you part of the fellowship of believers? God intends for us to work all together. And then let's ask the question, what are we doing for the gospel? No, God doesn't call everybody to go to Bolivia or Peru or Africa. But are we involved in the fellowship of the gospel? Do we help those who are going? And do we make sure that the people here know the message of Christ? That's what this church is all about. The gospel. Christ died for us. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we stand and sing, what number? Number 105. Whatever you